right, everybody, welcome into the College Gridiron Podcast. This is, I believe, episode 11. We are entering conference championship week in the college football season. I'm Jimmy Sullivan, joined by my guys, Ryan Gregware and Nick DeLuca. Guys, quite frankly, I'm really happy both of you are here because I feel like this week warrants an extra beefed up presence. And here is part of why. The college football playoff rankings came out last night, as they typically do. We are recording this on Wednesday evening. The rankings came out on Tuesday night, as they do every week down the stretch of the season. No change in the top four. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State in that order. Texas A&M is at five. And then all hell breaks loose. Iowa State is at six. Florida, after their loss to LSU, which we will get into later, Uh, Only fell one spot to seven. Then you've got Georgia at eight. Cincinnati at nine, dropping from eight to nine, despite not playing. And you round out the top ten with Oklahoma. Uh, Guys, I don't even know what to say about these rankings, so I will turn it over to you guys first. I'll go to Ryan first. Then I'll go to Nick. Ryan, what did you make of these rankings last night? I mean, first off is the big week. I'm glad that the three of us can be here. And – Honestly, like I'd say up till this point, you know, the rankings, they were definitely discussion worthy, but this was the first time there was real controversy and I can't even like justify some of these rankings. I mean, you talked about where all hell breaks loose at number six, you know, you have Florida getting upset by LSU. And so the committee has to move them down and we probably figured it'd be, you know, kind of a monumental drop. They just lost to a, you know, a true freshman quarterback on a three and five football team, but they go from six to seven. You know, Iowa State jumps up one. You have Cincinnati moving down one without playing a game. You have a two-loss Georgia team ahead of them as well. And, you know, it's just all madness really did break loose. I couldn't – I was watching the show in disbelief when they announced Iowa State at six, and I was even more shocked when they got to Florida at seven. It's it's crazy, and I'm – happy to be here with with both of you guys too to be able to try and sift through some of this stuff and break it all down what kind of becomes apparent to me and we were talking about this just a minute ago when we were getting ready for this pod it seems to me like they they being the college football playoff committee want to go with most deserving if you are a power five team and then go to okay, who do we think would beat in you know beat each other if the teams played right? So Alabama at number one is is the best team you know the most accomplished in the in the best team the best resume put it that way that's why they're at number one. Notre Dame I think the committee thinks Clemson's better than Notre Dame I would tend to agree with that. But because Notre Dame is more accomplished, they beat Clemson head to head. They'll go to two Clemson slots to three Ohio State to four, they're at four, they're undefeated, but they've only played the five games. That's the, the dent in their resume. But a- as you approach some of the Cincinnati's of the world or you know the, the Coastal Carolinas or BYU being ranked so low as they were, you get to the point where it, it's obviously the only explanation for why Georgia could possibly be ahead of Cincinnati in the rankings is, okay, well, if Georgia played head-to-head against Cincinnati, we feel like Georgia would win. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but how you can use that standard to determine eight and nine and then not use the same standard to determine two and three or three and four, that, that's what's confusing to me. And it's, 
it's it's maddening at times it's frustrating and as i said it always always comes back to and lends itself to let's just explain expand the playoff let's just add a few more teams in there and then if you're not in the top six not in the top eight especially in this environment well then you didn't deserve to get there but it's just really difficult to get a handle on and and it's frustrating at times when this is the standard by which your season is is dependent on it's not what you do on the field it's about how people in a boardroom or on a zoom call feel about your season yeah and you raise an interesting point about expanding the playoffs which is a, a drum that you've been beating for a while at least for this year because of the weirdness of the season and not everybody's starting at the same time so on and so forth but if you were to expand to eight teams, you've got Georgia at eight right now and Cincinnati at nine. I don't know how you possibly rationalize that after the way Georgia played against Alabama and the way it played against Florida. One of those teams is in the playoff. Another one of them, probably not. Let's go to Florida now. I mean, we were watching the LSU game, and we're all saying, all right, Florida's done. Like, they just had a really bad loss at home. And, yeah, they, they – couldn't close it out, and they, you know, they got themselves in a position to try to get it to overtime, but they wind up losing the game. And, and then here they are at seven. And I, I think it's also important to put a face on this because let's just start naming names, okay? The CFP committee, Florida's athletic director, Scott Strickland, is on it. So, I mean, you have – you know, 10 or 12 or whatever the number it is, people who are in that room, it's not an objective standard, right? When people were talking about the BCS, the complaint was like, oh, they're going off arbitrary stuff, so on and, and so forth. To an extent, I suppose that's true, but they had their, you know, computer algorithm system, whatever, you could complain about it all you want, but it was at least based on something. I don't know what this is based on. I, it's 12 people in you know, a room. They're insisting on doing it in person this year, which I also find weird. And yet here we are like having this conversation and it's, we don't know what the standards are or the standards are different. As you said, Nick, for the top four or top five and different for six through 10. And, you know, Ryan, as I look at these rankings, I think that's the biggest issue that they're not being transparent about what they're valuing or, what they are valuing changes based on week to week or even based on the, the particular team that we're talking about at that time. Yeah. I mean, the inconsistency, you know, uh, Nick brought it up earlier. They think Clemson's better than Notre Dame. I tend to agree with them. And then they, they flip up the logic late with Cincinnati nine, Georgia eight, you know, based on the, the eight and no versus the seven and two record. And if we expand it to eight, which I'm not against, and you talked about this a little, Jimmy, you know, a lot of people that wanted to get it to eight are the ones who want the non-Power 5 team, the undefeated non-Power 5 team, let's get them in. That wouldn't even be the case in this instance. You'd have Cincinnati nine, which we talked about this on the pre-show. If all hell broke loose this week, imagine that scenario where it's an 18 playoff and an undefeated non-Power 5 team gets left out. And so the other thing I'll say about that is, you know, the, the inconsistency is just, like, for the top four, I think, if we keep it at four, you know, we can all kind of tend to agree, at least I think so, that these are the four best teams as of right now. You know, we'll see what happens with the conference championships. But then when you get to eight, there's going to be, 
I think even more of an outcry because of the inconsistencies in the rankings in choosing between eight and nine. You know, now we can talk about it all we want, but it's not the biggest deal in the sense that both these teams will probably get a New Year's Six game. But if it does happen to the point where the playoff comes down to this, I think, you know, the, cons- the committee's got to tighten it up and come up with some objective ranking to get the true eight best teams in. The one thing I will say to play devil's advocate here is that do we really want to see Cincinnati in the college football playoff? Like, I, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful yeah. here or, or say, you know, it's not, it's not possible for a team that's not in the power five to walk into to the college football playoff. But to me, this is a team that has to be exceptionally good. And, and that's a, a rare occurrence, I think, in, in today's scope of college football where everything is just so top heavy. And maybe you have to get lucky. Maybe there's a year where, you know, some conferences are, are better top to bottom. If you had a more, say, competitive LSU, for example, or if Arkansas can ever be better, where you could get, say, A&M to two or three losses in Georgia – and Florida to two or three losses, then the sort of path opens up for Cincinnati. But I will say that do we want an 8-0 Cincinnati team over the 7-1 Texas A&M or the 7-2 Georgia, 8-2 Florida? I just the, – the one thing that is frustrating to me is that there are different standards, and that to me is not something that should be there. We, we can't – we can't sit there and, and be like, all right, we're going to judge this group of teams this way and the other group of teams that way. That, to me, doesn't stick. But at the same time, I don't know that we should be working so hard to get Cincinnati into the playoff or these non-group of five, you know, non-power five teams into the playoff because at the end of the day, we think Cincinnati is going to come within four touchdowns to play in Alabama. It's just, it's going to be one of those games where to me, it'll become very evident very early on that this is not a team that belongs in the top four of college football. If they deserve it, great. But I will also say that by the eye test and, and what their standard has always supposed to have been is we are putting the best four teams in the college football playoff. Cincinnati is not a top four team in the country by by looking at the roster, who would who would win head to head? I think Georgia beats Cincinnati head to head. I think Florida beats Cincinnati head to head. Frustrating thing is it sh- it should always be who beats who head to head, and it's not. But to me, at at that level, they do have it right. Yeah. I, I want to just yeah, ahead, Jim, I want to cut you off here because something you said, like if you know maybe there's a different year where they get lucky. I don't see that being the case. You know, if this isn't the year that you get the non-Power 5 team in with, you know, with COVID, with Ohio State playing less games. That's not going to happen in a normal year. And all these different kind of irregularities, six through eight is two lost teams. Um, If you're not going to get them in this year, honestly, with these non-Power 5 teams, what's the point of them going out and competing? Why not create your own division or something where you have your own playoffs apart from the Power 5? Because if there's no way to get in the playoff, Obviously, with four, we haven't seen it yet. And with eight, you know, who knows? We, that's, that's, the, that's the allure to eight. We'd see it. But as you said, do we really want – do we really think Cincinnati's better than Georgia? I don't – like, as you said, I don't think they are. But, you know, their resume, they've done everything they could do. So the only thing I would say is if you're not going to reward them for going out and beating everyone on their schedule, then you have to come up with some other alternative, whether it be this, uh, 
depart from the Power Five and create their own playoff or something to reward these teams for playing the well as well as they are. I don't want to cut Jimmy off here either, but I do want to answer this. The only thing I would say in this year, there to me, this isn't the year to answer to answer that point. I would argue a little bit differently, and here's why: the the key to getting in to the the playoff for these non Power Five teams, and it's tough because the, the scheduling aspect makes it tricky. This year, it's not realistic. But if Cincinnati goes out and schedules Texas A and M, and they beat Texas A and M, well, guess what? Now everyone's going to pay attention and say, no, this is a team that belongs. They don't care necessarily what conference you're coming from. I mean, maybe that's they, – they care. But Cincinnati would get in if they had a win like that on their resume. To, to me, that's, that's the difference. And, and COVID does not make that possible this year because you're not playing out of conference. Cincinnati playing Ohio State was never something that was realistic because it just – it won't happen because of logistics of this year. But to me, there is a path. There is not just, oh, we have to create our own uh, college football playoff or postseason for the group of five. To me, no. If, if you want to get in and you feel like you've got that good of a team, schedule a Power Five team that's going to be up there. And, and if you do that and you win that game, you'll be in. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in response to some things that both of you said, you know, Nick, you're talking about the scheduling. And uh, I remember coming up as a college football fan, not to sound really old here, but. Uh, in you know the 2009 2010 around that time you know you had the Boise States and the TCUs of the world that you know at a conference they would play teams yeah they I remember Boise State one year played Virginia Tech uh they played Georgia at least once you know TCU went out played some games as well that was before they were in the Big 12 so they went and scheduled you know the problem became that you know when they would get in a conference play Boise State I think at that time was in the WAC TCU I want to say was in the Mountain West you know, it's, you're, you're automatically limited by that. Like, no matter what you do in the out-of-conference, it's going to get dragged down by playing, you know, Nevada. Not to pick on Nevada because they actually beat Boise State one year. But I do think that the, the thing that annoys me more than anything is that, you know, you look, uh, does anyone think Cincinnati is going to beat Alabama? No. Okay, we, we all agree on that. The thing that annoys me is that the goalposts, are shifting so much like every week, basically that it doesn't feel like Cincinnati can get to the playoff. Cause it feels like no matter what they do, the committee is going to be like, well, you know, you didn't do this or do that or play this opponent. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, especially this year with you know, all the games that have been canceled, a lot of that's just not their fault. And that's what annoys me more than anything. And that I think Ryan goes back to the point you said, which I saw a couple of writers write about last night and this morning, which was, well, then why, why are we playing the games? And I'm not advocating for, like, secession or anything like that. But at some point, you have to ask that question. Why are we playing the games? And for Cincinnati, you know, you start the season, and, you know, they had high expectations entering the season. And they said, you know, hey, we go undefeated. We run the table at this thing get a couple of these power five teams to have a down year. Hey, who knows? We could make it. And they've done everything right. And yet here they are sitting here with a week to go before they select the college football playoff. And they're like, why'd we do that? Cause there's, there's no chance. There's no way forward. They're going to get a new year six bowl, assuming they don't mess it up, but it's just, you sit there and you say, all right, well, 
we did our end of the bargain. The other end of the bargain kind of did happen too. And yet here we are and no shot. We're blocked. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And to go off that, I remember a few weeks ago when the original rankings came out, it was me and you, Jimmy, and they're at seven, right? And I was coming up with all these different avenues for them to get in. It was, you know, it's and all the stuff that I said hasn't happened yet. And yet they moved down two spots and, you know, they got kind of screwed over with COVID. They haven't been able to play since, but as you said, they did everything right. You know, if we run the table, we have a shot. Well, they got to seven, nothing. They didn't do anything to hurt themselves since. And now they're back at nine. And, you know, yeah, the avenue was like Bama lose or Bama beats Florida and you flip, you get Clemson out with Notre Dame beating him again. And then we'll see what happens with A&M. And they won't get a shot to do that. Um, you know, obviously we're not going to expand it this year. And being at nine, you know, their season, they'll play Tulsa on Saturday. But, you know, will they get rewarded in the end for this great year? Not probably to the way that they expected to when they debuted at seven a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating for them. I, I certainly agree with that, and it's, it's too bad. The only thing I would, again, argue and, and say in this sense is that if Cincinnati was not going to get in to the college football playoff when there are four teams, or even eight teams for that matter, they certainly weren't going to get an opportunity to play in the BCS National Championship on that old model. So we've certainly changed from that, and I'm not saying that that's perfect, but they still felt like they should go out there and play, and it wasn't pointless when they really had no chance at ever sniffing a national championship. If it was the top two teams, Cincinnati was never going to win a national championship. You can't, there's not enough that would be there to ever fall their way. The same thing with a, with a Boise State or a team that was not in the Power Five. You were never going to, to – it was just never going to happen, and yet those programs still went out and played. There is still value – namely the revenue that one uh, is able to generate from a successful football program. But to me, that's part of it. And, and maybe, maybe the, the loss of, of perspective here or the, the increased number of, of teams in the college football playoff has made it more competitive. And you think about it more in the context of now winning a national championship, but there was a time where winning the orange bowl was a big deal or winning the sugar bowl was a big deal. So I'm just saying that there is something still to that and there is something to play for. It's just, I think for, for those who really are often paying attention to who's going to win the national championship and who is in the top four. And if you're not in the top four, you're really not that relevant. I think that sort of skews things a little bit. Yeah. And just to wrap up this discussion, uh, you look at football, you look at basketball uh, on the collegiate side and obviously very different things. So I'm not going to, you know, try to make apples to apples here, but you look at the NCAA tournament, right? Nobody ever thinks Gardner Webb is going to beat Duke, right? They both get it. And maybe they play in the first round and maybe Duke kicks them to the curb after a half. And that's just the way it goes. What I'm saying there is that even though the college basketball tournament I believe, as fun as it is, is a fundamentally insane way to decide a champion. If you expand the playoff here to eight, I wonder if it wouldn't benefit us to just say, all right, the top group of five team gets in. They might always be stuck at eight and having to play Alabama or Clemson, at least you know, in the next few years, and then whoever winds up being in the future. But say, you know what, look, we're going to give you a nod here. 
And you know what? If you think you can go out and beat Alabama, go do it. And I think that's the fairest thing to do. And if they get hammered in that game, they get hammered. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, we, we complained about the BCS for so long. We were like, we need four. And they gave us four. And now the methods for choosing four are so messed up. This last night, this was the absolute worst rankings they have ever done. And I think it's even worse than anything the BCS ever did. And the BCS once flip-flopped Florida State and Miami every week. And in 2000, and they put Florida State in the national title game, even though Miami beat Florida State. But that's where we're at with the college football playoff rankings. Everybody doing a great job on that front. I think with that in mind, we need to move on. And let's talk about some of this week's games. What they mean, well, we don't know. But a bunch of conference title games, hey, we really don't know. We really don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We have no idea. We think we know, but we thought we knew last week, and now we don't. So let's start on what we think, what we think is the low end of the spectrum here. Over in the Big 12, and guys, as I look at these rankings one more time, it popped into my head after we started the show. If Iowa State is to win the Big 12 championship game here, and Clemson loses to Notre Dame, Iowa State may well be in. But as this game stands on its own, you've got Oklahoma, Iowa State, for all the Tostitos down at Jerry World. Oklahoma is a a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Iowa State is ranked at six, as we said. Uh, This is a big game for Iowa State because they have a non-zero chance at the college football playoff right now, despite two losses. Ryan, you're looking at this game. I think it's a really interesting matchup. How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I mean, first off, I remember a few weeks ago, going back maybe a month or so, OK State was the best team in the Big 12 in the rankings. They were around six. And once they got knocked off, it was kind of like the Big 12 is kind of a crapshoot this year, you know. But uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma are now red hot. Both, it's now a top 10 matchup, which I think a few weeks ago, it was trending in that direction. I know Oklahoma was still left out of the top 10. Same with Iowa State, but if you look to their schedule, it was going this direction. And now this is a fascinating game. You know, we'd normally say, I feel like that this game doesn't really have playoff implications, but with what we saw last week, anything's on the table. If Iowa State, you know, they are five and a half point underdogs, if they're able to pull off this six versus 10 upset in quotes, who knows with what happens in Ohio State's game, with what happens in the ACC championship. But going back on that, I still think Oklahoma could just spoil their season. Uh, the way they're playing football, you know, after they started the year one and two, they're winning by 26 points a game. Uh, Spencer Rattler settled in, you know, in a rebuilding year for Lincoln Riley. They're still a seven and two team in the big 12 championship, which I think says a lot about their program. But, you know, this game could – could be really interesting for Iowa State if they're able to kind of pull off this mini upset here. I think it could be interesting, but I also think that Oklahoma's going to win. So that might just sort of, you know, pour some water on the fire there. I don't know that I think that Iowa State would really have to make a statement with a win in this game, I think. Um, and and maybe it, it comes in the form of, something we saw in 2014 where Ohio State beats Wisconsin 56 to nothing. Like that might be 
the type of victory, not that I think you could shut out Oklahoma, but you, you get my, my drift on, on what type of margin of victory Iowa State would need to, to put out there to potentially be in that conversation. I just think that two losses right now is too many. I, I don't know that you can put in Iowa State over Texas A&M when their one loss is to the number one team in the country. And by virtue of that loss, they don't get an opportunity to play in their conference title game. I, again, don't expect Iowa State to win this one. But even if they do, unless it is some statement win, and who knows what that means for the committee, as we have addressed here, but it would have to be something that lets the committee know this is a team that is better than Texas A&M. And I think that's going to be hard to do because A&M is very good and has the resume and accomplishments to back it up with their only loss coming to the, the best possible loss that you can have against Alabama. I will say it is worth noting Texas A&M is also playing this weekend, not the SEC title game, but they are going up against Tennessee at noon. That is opposite this game. So one last chance for Texas A&M. I think they probably have more to lose than anything in that game. But heading back to this one, I mean, call me cynical here, but the committee has just continually moved up Iowa State throughout the month of November and into December. And, you know, they beat Baylor by a touchdown. They won over Texas after they missed a last-second field goal. You know, those were not uh, impressive margins. Um, The Texas game, I don't even know if everyone expected them to win. And yet, after each week, it felt like one or two spots, Iowa State just kept moving up. So I'm not entirely sure that if they win this game, the committee and, and obviously the other important pieces of Clemson loses. All I'm going to say is I think the committee is going to take a look at it. I'm not going to say that Iowa state is like, you know, automatically in the top four if all that stuff happens. I think it's on the table and it's weird because I was sitting there looking down the list of the committee members. And part of this is because I walk around with a tinfoil hat on my head all the time, but I was looking at it, I'm trying to figure out what the connection is that maybe they're showing some favoritism, but I don't know. And to be honest with you, I watched this Iowa State team, and I mean, they're good, but I don't get it. I mean, they lost to Louisiana to open the season. It was a big loss. They lost that Oklahoma State. I mean, they're, they're you know, good wins, if you will, or Oklahoma and Texas, and they're playing Oklahoma again. I'm also going to take Oklahoma in this game, but I think the scenarios are far more interesting if Iowa State wins. So we'll see if that winds up coming to roost here on Saturday. Move over to the next game we've got here. Let's pivot to the Big Ten. This one's also at noon. Ohio State, a big favorite against Northwestern. Almost three touchdowns. And Ohio State comes in having uh, the game against Michigan canceled due to COVID issues on the Wolverines team. Michigan also had this week's game canceled. Their season's over. So their Nick, season I'll, was over a long yeah. time ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to leave that opening. I knew somebody was going to take it. I just didn't know who Nick I'll, I'll go to you first. Um, any chance Northwestern comes through and wins this game. I hate to say it cause it's the big 10 title game and Northwestern deserves respect. But right now I just don't see it. I don't either. And I don't think that they're explosive enough on offense. This is one of the other things that 
in terms of, of college football that we often talk about. And I said it about Georgia at the time when they were playing Alabama and in some of the games where you're challenging these top teams in the country. I don't, I just don't see it from a Northwestern offense perspective. And it's not to say that their defense hasn't been outstanding this year because it has been 14 points a game in today's day and age in college football is pretty darn impressive in, in, you know, the way that, that this stuff operates. So especially in the big 10, that's, that's not difficult. That's not easy to pull off. It's, it's pretty difficult at, at the same time. O- Ohio state is just, is they're too explosive on offense, 46 points a game in Justin Fields and what they do with master Teague in the running game as well. And some of the weapons that they have offensively and then defensively, I think they're getting better. I like what I'm seeing out of their front seven and then, their secondary, which has been a challenge at times, they're young and, and they seem to be growing with the experience. Now, they they have had some off and on stuff going on with cancellations and interruptions and their head coach having COVID and then being back. But that's the nature of college football in 2020. And I, I like what I've seen from them recently. The key for them, though, is that they have to win. They, they not only have to win this game, but win it handily. They also have to make the statement that I was talking about with Iowa State to make sure that because they only will have played six games, that they make enough of an impression that we don't need to play the next four or next five because you know we're a top four team in the country. I think they're going to get there. I don't know that there's enough that A&M can do against Tennessee compared to Ohio State even against Northwestern in a win but they need to do it convincingly because at the same time you leave the door open. If you're not doing enough to convince everyone here that we we're a top four team in the country, if we're only beating Northwestern by say a t- touchdown. Yeah, this is a really bad matchup for Northwestern because the only time we saw Ohio state, at least a little vulnerable was in that game against Indiana where they threw for 500 yards. And as you said, Northwestern is not explosive enough to keep up with Justin Fields in that offense. And the other thing is, too, as you brought up, there is urgency with uh, Ohio State here. You know, if we believe the eye test is that important, then this needs to be a very convincing win. You know, they won. They had a really good win against Michigan State, which is the team that upset Northwestern. But they need to handle this Northwestern team. You know, this is their – the Big Ten is their conference. It runs through Ohio State. There's no reason that they shouldn't win this game. 20 and a half, you know, it's a huge number for a, a conference championship, but they're good enough to cover that um, with their offense. And, you know, they, they need this win because they'll only be at six, as you mentioned. They need it convincingly, and I'll bank on them to do so. So I'll take Ohio State as well. I think the start of this game is going to be interesting because, remember, Ohio State's basically played one game in almost a month. So I think, you know, if Northwestern can jump on them early – yeah, we'll, we'll have an interesting game, I think. But I'm with you guys. I think Ohio State's going to win big, and I think in turn they will clinch a spot in the college football playoff, I think. Let's move. I'm going to go a little out of order here. Uh, we're going to go from one big number to another. 8 o'clock Saturday night, Alabama, Florida for the SEC championship. Alabama, the game's simple. I think they're pretty much in, even if they lose this, but they're the number one seed in the playoff right now. And if they win, they probably clinch that. Ryan, I will go over to you first. Alabama is a 17-point favorite in this one. 
Uh, over under, by the way, 74 and a half in this game. That is high. Uh, but Ryan, I go to you. Alabama looking like they're in a good spot. I think they'll take care of business. Do you agree? So before Saturday night, I was prepared to drop, drop some spice on this podcast. Before we saw Florida lose, I was going to say that this was going to be maybe the game of the year. Um, I was probably going to go Bama all the way. But I thought Trask could kind of expose that defense in a way we saw Ole Miss do a few weeks back. I know that since then, you know, Alabama's defense has gotten into shape. They're averaging like 11 points since they gave up that 48. But I really liked what Florida was doing. I thought they were trending in the right direction after that early loss to A&M. And um, I can't anymore. You know, after I saw them play so terribly against LSU, you know, we'll get into that game in a minute. But just, you know, the eye test, you can't see them play that close of a game. No matter shoe or not shoe, you know, they were 20-plus point favorites at home. They lost the game outright. Um, Devontae Smith right now, he's my Heisman favorite. Um, I love the way he's playing. I think Mac Jones has exceeded expectations for Bama. And, you know, they're a wagon right now. They're clearly the best team in the country. So 17, I'll, I'll pick them to cover that too, honestly, because – I don't see Florida stopping them once on offense if they're trying. And, you know, I think Florida could keep up. As you said, that's a high over-under at 70-plus. They keep up for a little bit, but not for four quarters, not against this Alabama football team. I'm all in on Bama. Florida is playing for a season with an outside chance to potentially sniff the playoff. I think if they were to beat Alabama with, with the two losses, they could certainly – they would certainly have a better shot at getting in – as opposed to being in Iowa State, in, in my opinion. They would need some other shoes to drop. I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> Th- that said, I-, I do think this game can be pretty competitive. Like I- I- the-, the teams that have given Alabama some trouble are the teams that can score. And at some level, I know that, you know, Florida won't be able to stop Alabama – but Ole Miss, when they play that game close, literally did not stop Alabama. Like I, when, I, when I say they did not stop Alabama, that is only slightly an exaggeration. I, I've, one I stop and they would have won. Right. Yeah. So, so, so it's really not even an exaggeration where they didn't stop them. Now, I, I do think that Florida's offense can present some challenges for Alabama. By no means, after what we saw, and again, we're going to get into it, so I, I won't ruin what I have to say about the LSU game, but, you know, go Tigers. I, at the same time, I'm, there's, there's no way that I would pick Florida to beat Alabama. But at the same time, I do think they can hang with them. I love what they do on offense. It's more of a matchup thing. The weather was sloppy. You get a fluke shoe throw and a, and a personal foul penalty. And at, at the end of the day, it was more about Florida – not winning the line of scrimmage, in my opinion. And that was the biggest problem. You have to be confident in Alabama's ability to win the line of scrimmage this Saturday. That said, you never know. The attitude could be different for Florida. I think they can hang in, not picking them to win, but I I do think they'll cover. I think this is going to be a closer game than people anticipate just by virtue of the type of team that can hang with Alabama. This is not – we're not talking about Georgia here where, where you're making your money on defense or a defensive-oriented team where it's like, oh, well, the only way we win is we're going to hold Alabama to 15 points. Yeah, obviously that's not going to happen. That's not Florida's game plan. That's not what they do. We talk about uh, is this team explosive enough offensively to beat the team that they're playing and try and create an upset? 
Florida is explosive offensively enough to beat Alabama. Not picking it, but I think it's going to be closer than people anticipate. I'm with you, Nick. I'm going to say 49-38 Alabama. That's my score. That's a high number, but I'm confident in it. And if you want to see the eventual Heisman Trophy winner, watch this game because it's going to be either Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, or Devontae Smith. We'll get into Shoegate in a moment, but last game we have to pick, Clemson-Notre Dame, a rematch of maybe one of the games of the year up to this point, Notre Dame beating Clemson at home. Ryan, can Notre Dame do it again and possibly knock Notre Dame out of the college football playoff? Yeah, so, you know, as you said earlier, they, they beat Clemson 47-40 to 40 in overtime, my personal favorite game of the year. But obviously, you know, they did not have Trevor Lawrence, Clemson, and that's make the world of difference this game because Clemson's over double-digit favorites here. And I think that's what, you know, Vegas is telling you that they value Trevor Lawrence a ton there. Um, I think it also, Jimmy, it's safe to assume, knock on wood, that Notre Dame is in either way. You know, obviously if they get their doors blown off by Clemson, it's a different discussion. But if this game is just somewhat competitive, I think they've done enough at 10-1 and one with the win over Clemson to get in. But Clemson, you know, it's safe to assume this is their season. With If they're a two-loss team that did not win the ACC, you can't put them in. You have to, put a, you have to bring A&M above them. So with that urgency from Clemson, with the way they're playing and with Trevor Lawrence back, I'm all in on Clemson. Um, not really an upset here, even though they're three. But I think the committee's telling us Clemson's the better team. I think the play on the field is also telling us that when they have their quarterback. So I'm going to go Clemson here. I think this could be still a sneaky good game because I think Ian Book is a lot better than people give him credit for. But I still think Clemson will find a way to win this game and the ACC and get into the playoff. To me, it's kind of amazing that this game is kind of flown under the radar, if that is possible in a two versus three matchup especially because we have seen it before, but not in this form with Trevor Lawrence at the helm for Clemson. I'm also going to pick Clemson. I think they are the better team. And when that happens, I think it's very difficult for a Notre Dame to beat the other team twice. The funny thing is, is that I'm not ruling out that we see this matchup three times. I think that's even possible depending on how the other results shake out. Like if Ohio State were to lose the the Big Ten championship game, I don't know how whoever comes in is not at four and how Alabama would not be at one. Maybe you switch Notre Dame and Clemson, but then they're playing again in the college football playoff semifinals and back-to-back games. So I suppose be on the lookout for that. I do think Clemson will win this game, as I said, but to me, it's more it's it's about Trevor Lawrence. You can't diminish that because he's going to be the the number one pick in the draft and a guy who is as talented as anyone and means a ton to Clemson. But to me, it's about the defensive health. James Skalski is apparently going to be back as their starting middle linebacker, and to me, that's that's the biggest thing because Notre Dame did whatever they wanted on the ground in the first matchup between these two teams. They were able to operate. They put up 47 points, and they do it largely in the ground game and without putting a ton of pressure on, on Ian Book to, to perform and really carry them and win the day. It's not to say that he's not capable of that. I think he is in certain situations. But I think if Clemson can eliminate some of this Notre Dame running game that was so effective in the first time that these two teams played, I think they will be set up for success. This was a touchdown game when Clemson was – 
depleted defensively and had their backup quarterback in. I like Clemson with Trevor Lawrence back, starting middle linebacker back, so give me Clemson to win, even up the series, and I think we might not be done with this matchup this season. I'm also going to take Clemson. Remember, they did not have Trevor Lawrence last time out. It was DJ Uyunglele, and he almost won them the game. Before we wrap up here, Nick DeLuca, you texted me, I believe it was yesterday, asking to you know, come on because we, had, we just had to talk about the end of the LSU Florida game. And more specifically, the incident with Marco Wilson, the middle linebacker for Florida, who picked up an LSU player's shoe and threw it 20 yards downfield, not 21, not 19, 20, and in turn cost Florida the game because LSU went down, kicked a game-winning field goal. Nick, floor is yours. What a moment in uh, Gainesville on Saturday. Well, what a time for Coach O. That's the perspective that I like to take. What, what made me laugh was actually the coach on the other sideline when Dan Mullen comes out. He was speaking with the media. And he says, well, the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for throwing a shoe was unfortunate. You bet your butt it was unfortunate. It cost <laughs> you the opportunity to get into the college football playoff with a win against Alabama. Now, no one was picking that. But, dude, that might have just cost you your season. It's unfortunate. But also, why in the heck are you throwing a shoe? Like, what, what is the thought process there? What is to be gained by saying, oh, your shoe fell off. Let me chuck it 30 yards down the field. It's just dumb. It's, it's like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I just, I can't wrap my head around that. It's so selfish from Marco Wilson's perspective. And you feel bad for the dude because he made a mistake and it was extremely costly. And Mullen went on, and I think he's right to say, you know, this wasn't necessarily the reason that we lost the game. I agree with that. I mean, there were a ton of opportunities for Florida, and they shouldn't have even been in a game that was that close to begin with. And we're talking about this right now. If their kicker makes a long field goal, we're not. And we go to overtime. I don't think Florida loses that game. But for, for Dan Mullen in the post game, and I know he's protecting his players, but to say that Wilson's penalty was unfortunate and that maybe the officials, and, and that's the other part of this, the officials might have, you know, overreacted or to say, you know, I, I, maybe, maybe there was an intent there to be disrespectful to the opponents so they should have let it go because it was a big moment in the game. No. How about have your player not throw a darn shoe and cost you an opportunity at the college football playoff? There you go, Dan Mullen. Just don't throw the shoe. Jeez. Oh, man. That was incredible. I will say that was a heck of a moment. That was, that was one of the funniest things. I, 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 I've never seen somebody like, not only did he throw the he took it off the guy and grabbed it and then threw it. It's one thing if it was like on the ground and he was celebrating and he just like threw it up. Like, okay, maybe excuse. I mean, probably not, but he, he took it off picked it up, threw it. Like, what are we doing? I, this, you know, Dan Mullen, after both of, of their losses, like, like he's made excuses, right? It was the Texas A&M game. It was, oh, well, they had so many fans there. And it, it was daunting. And now, now it's this. Like, no, beat the brakes off LSU when we're not in this situation. I just don't get it. But then again, I mean, that's probably, I mean, that's honestly probably what separates Florida from, you know, 
the top teams in the country because they got all the talent in the world, but they just they just can't get it done. Fun times, fun times. If you're not don't, Marco Wilson, it's fun times. Don't throw shoes, kids. All right, just don't do it, guys. This has been fun. Again, really happy to have both of you here because, man, we needed the processing this week. <laughs> For my partners, Ryan Gregware and Nick DeLuca, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Thank you for enjoying the latest episode of College Gridiron. We'll be back next week.